the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a Tuesday morning. How are you doing today? And the polls are shifting, just so you'll know. Uh, I think uh, the people that I've, I keep eye on and the guy who uh, picked the 2016 election and went on primaries over the last oh, about 20 years and picked uh, Trump to win, and I was following him, and uh, his calculations made sense to me and came up that uh, Trump won just about exactly. I mean, he had it picked almost exactly the way it ended. Uh, He's got Trump now starting to pull away. Uh, Another poll, Trafalgar poll, this is Britain. They were right about 2016 from the very beginning, and uh, they have Trump up in polls uh, back in 2016, John McCormick said in August, Trafalgar released polls showing Trump within a half percentage point of Biden in Minnesota, ahead by about a point in Wisconsin and Michigan. When the Michigan poll was released over the weekend, Trafalgar's president, Robert Cahaley, boasted on Twitter by saying, quote, doubt what we at Trafalgar Group say about Michigan at your own peril. History is not on your side and uh, now 538 has released an article that says why minnesota could go red let me read that to you again five 538 okay now they have been playing this little thing and they've, they've tried to do and elizabeth is with us and elizabeth this is what the pollers did last time they tried to hold back trump by suppressing the enthusiasm of their voters. And they've tried to do it thus far. 538 has had Trump losing consistently, consistently. And now they come up with an article uh, from yesterday, why Minnesota could be the next Midwestern state to go red. And here's what they say. In the fabled blue wall, the collection of historic Democrat states that pundits wrongly assumed gave uh, Hillary Clinton an electoral college advantage in 2016. Minnesota is the cornerstone. The Democratic candidate has won Minnesota in 11 straight presidential elections, the longest active streak in the country. What's more, no Republican has won any statewide election in Minnesota since 2006. That's not... A Senate race, it's not a 
gubernatorial race. It's not even the state auditor race. And it's tempting to conclude from this that Minnesota is a safe blue state. But Minnesota is much more divided than that record shows. And they go into it. Minnesota is like most Democrat Party states coming apart at the seams. I'm just telling you, the American people, you've got to go back to 1965 to 69 and then look at the 1972 election when Richard Nixon squashed McGovern like a bug with 61 percent of the uh, of the vote. And uh, he took 49 of the 50 uh, 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 states in electoral votes. Uh, Nixon, uh, the only state he lost was South Dakota, which was the uh, state of McGovern. And bottom line, I think we may be looking at the same t- uh, the same thing. They, we might not carry Delaware, but I'm just telling you, uh, I don't think Biden's going to carry a lot. And this new poll that I just saw just a moment ago, after the RNC, the RNC convention, uh, black voters, an increase for the president, nearly 9% to 26% of African Americans looking to vote for this president. 26%. That's never, ever happened. I'm excited. It's just the one. It's just, well, it's just the ones you're hearing about. It's just the people who are self-identifying. The secret voters is a whole nother picture, and we know that they exist, and I believe that there's a greater number of those today in all of those areas you just covered than there were in 2016. Well, here's the key. America is a center-right state. America, for the most part, believes in law and order. America believes in their police. Now, they believe in their police. However, they're not foolish enough not to think that perhaps, perhaps we need some people to come in to some of these police departments and take a real close look at some things that have uh, have happened. We've done that before. We can do it again. But uh, the Americans, for the most part, are not on the side of Black Lives Matter. They're not on the side of Antifa. They're not on the side of these Democratic mayors uh, in these major uh, Midwestern and and, uh, West Coast and East Coast cities that are allowing, uh, you know, these evil people to run roughshod uh, in the cities. They're not for that. They are totally against that. They showed that back in 72. Nixon won. That was a close race until that started happening, really happening bad uh, in the United States, the rioting and stuff, and Nixon won with 61% of the vote. I'm just telling you, you, don't be surprised. Everywhere I go, I'm, I'm hearing people ask about it at the gas station, you know. Uh, not that I'm running around that much, but at the grocery store, at the gas station, I'm hearing people in the line ask about it. Uh, what do you think? What do you think? People are very, very disturbed. And I think there are a lot of people who are not letting their neighbors know, their families know. We saw this in the news last week, a poll. What was it? 60-something percent. So they don't want their closest friends to know that they're a Trump supporter. 
Can you blame them after what happened last week, both on the streets of Washington, D.C. after the convention and, of course, in Portland and in these other places? Can you blame them? And Kenosha, exactly. Can you blame them? No, they don't want to be public. So the numbers that you're seeing are just the numbers that we're seeing. It's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, it's like yesterday, Biden going out now, he's all against the violence. Oh, my God, I can't believe all this violence. But don't forget this violence that it ha- that's happening. That's Trump's America. No, you dimwit. Take a look at who's doing it. Take a look at the well, people that you refuse to speak out again against, like Antifa and Black Lives Matter. That lady on CNN drives me crazy who now has said, it's not Antifa that's uh, rioting, it's white supremacist. What? Makes, what? Your, makes your head explode, doesn't it? It does. The, it may, it, I, and it I, gives I, you whiplash, too, because I, I, they've changed overnight. You know, overnight, just snap your fingers, boom. All of a sudden now their polls tell them they better say something about the violence. It's not that they're against the violence. Their polls are telling them that they're losing ground. So they've changed their message. What is he, three-fourths of the way through a presidential campaign? And he's totally changed a a major position. A complete, completely changed it. And I'm (laughs) I'm going, here's something else I'm going to predict. Here's something else I'll predict. 18 million jobs will be lost, if not 19 million, if they stop fracking. Do not be oh. surprised before they get very much further if the if Biden suddenly says, well, I didn't say that we'd get rid of fracking. Uh, I just said we we would cut back on fracking. What a lion sack of you know what. Well, the president elect on their side, Miss Kamala Harris, has now come out completely against fracking. Totally. So that tells you what you need to know. It's going to be interesting, Elizabeth. I'm just telling you. You know, you want to go back to high gas prices, uh elected Democrat. We'll get we'll get high back uh you'll get high gas prices, you'll get high electric prices as well. You'll get California where you got blackouts going out and brownouts going on left and right because they say you got you can do it all with uh you know, renewable energy. They've known that well, was a BS story from the beginning. You Go know ahead. it will affect our standing in the world as well. We are energy independent finally for the first time. Fracking had something to do with that. Yeah. So it well, endangers our position in it. the world. Exactly. It, it endangers our position in the world. They're, they're power hungry. I don't understand why. I hear people say it almost every day now. What is wrong with these people? Why do they want, why do these Democrat leaders want to let their, their cities go to pieces for the sake of their political rhetoric? Is that what we're really for supposed the to be sake believing of, here? It's a, for the sake of their power. That's all that, that <laughs> makes a difference for the left is to have power. Because if they can get complete power, they can control this country completely. And it will change. And then what will they have? Don't have a hellhole. Yeah, they'll make it a hellhole. They're already trying. The way they're going. The way they're going. They're already trying to. They're already trying. All right. The polls are looking good. The polls are looking good now. We're going down the wrong path here. The polls are looking good. Now they're starting to switch. 
And I said all along, I told you, did I not tell you when we would have conversations, you were getting all all worried, and I said, worry (laughs) not. Worry not. The fat lady hasn't, you know, hasn't started warming up yet. So I'm predicting I'm October surprise is going to be the vaccine. (sighs) I'm telling you, it's going to be it's going to be the vaccine. And if it comes (laughs) on board, uh, it's really going to be over over. I mean, the fat lady will be singing lively. I believe that. You know, she'll be doing her thing. 18 minutes after six, Dave Ellswick show. You got to, you know. Watching a presidential election is kind of like reading tea leaves, but you got to just understand <laughs> history. you got to understand history. This, all, this exact same scenario played out from 1965 to 69 and then in the 72 election, and we're seeing a repeat. The Democrats, after all the riots and everything that went down in the 60s with burn, baby, burn, and all of that, the Watts riot and everything else that went on, I'm just telling you, the American people looked at and said, no, no, we can't allow this to happen. And and who did the Democrats uh, put up for president? McGovern. McGovern. (laughs) McGovern. In all honesty, if you look at McGovern, he'd fit in well now. With the left, he would he fit would. in. He would fit in really well with the left. They they were running uh, running on issues that they're running on again. Uh, now they're going to lose on the same issues now. All right, we got to get to break in. Nineteen after six. It is the Dave Ellswick show. Stick around. Elizabeth Sotolaro is with us. She's with us for this first hour. Then the Bible guys and the last hour. We're going to get uh, uh, Ryan Norris from AFP on. We're going to get uh, on uh, Liz Harrington. She'll talk more polls uh, on uh, 8 o'clock when we record our segment for 6 o'clock this evening. So stick around. There's a lot to talk about all day long right here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, 624, and uh, like a canary in a coal mine, you know, they used to take canaries down in coal mines, don't anymore. They've got, they've got devices that do the same thing that the canaries used to do. If you had a canary down in a coal mine and it suddenly stopped singing and keeled over dead, there was a gas leak somewhere, and it affected the canary before it affected the miners, and before there was an explosion and a big mine cave in, uh, the canary quit singing. Well, my canary that I keep around, and I, I keep him up in his gilded cage because he stands in front of the, uh, the mirror all the time preening himself, uh, is Michael Moore. Uh, Michael Moore is my canary that I keep with me down in the coal mine. And uh, he's starting starting to, to, to warn Democrats about the, the gas level in the mine. I'm just telling you. He uh, wrote uh, yesterday, uh, where are the polls of uh, Trump gaining on Biden? He shared a poll from Michigan that had President Trump besting Biden now by two points in Michigan. I mean, they've had the president down by 14 in Michigan. The most ridiculous thing I've I've ever heard. He's never been that far behind. Anyway, uh, Moore scolded Democrats for getting complacent in the idea that Trump will surely lose on election night. 
quote, someone needs to pull the fire alarm now, uh, all caps. Where are the stories about Trump gaining on Biden? He tweeted below a poll from Friday in Michigan last week. Trump pulled within four points of Biden. After the RNC, now in one poll, Trump is ahead of Biden in Michigan, 47-45. Yet so many Dems convinced Trump a lose. Big capital letters. Danger. You should have included danger, Will Robinson. Moore then shared some real clear politics averages that showed Hillary Clinton significantly leading Trump in key battleground states compared to Biden at this time during the election. Though leftists might be tempted to blame Russia, Moore slapped that notion down, candidly blaming Biden's failure on Biden himself. Check this out. During the same week in August, for but four years apart, Moore said, in 2016, Hillary was way ahead of Trump. But this past week in some states, Biden's lead is less than what Hillary's was. You can't blame this one on P.O. Or, or Russia. This is on the candidate and party. Wake up. So there you go. Daily, Daily Wire reporting Michael Moore took to Facebook on Friday after the RNC to provide Democrats a bit of a reality check about what's going on. Again, quoting him, sorry to have to provide the reality check again, because last year he predicted or in 2016, he predicted that the, that Trump was going to win. Sorry to have to provide the reality check again, but when CNN polled registered voters in August in just the swing states, Biden and Trump were in a virtual tie. In Minnesota, it's 47-47. In Michigan, where Biden had a big lead, Trump has closed the gap to four points. Now he's ahead by two. Are you ready for a Trump victory? Are you mentally prepared to be outsmarted by Trump again? Woo! I guess I guess the left would got upset with him, man. But he is the canary in the in the coal mine. The left actually ripped him up one side and down the other for stepping outside the lines on all of that. Well, they, they, they really like, weren't happy with him, and he's the one who sees it. It's setting up just like it was in 2016. Well, you know, it's well, setting up. An- I I look at this, uh, Elizabeth, and I kind of tell you, I think Nancy Pelosi and Schumer and uh, all of the leadership up there in Congress are all sitting in a room somewhere in the lotus position, and and they've done a hit of mescaline. And they're living in an alt-reality right now. I really do. That's what I think's going on, and they're listening in strawberry fields. Well, here's a hot one for you. We can talk about it in a little bit. But the House is looking to vote this week on cannabis legalization. And Schumer tweeted about it for the Senate last Friday. It's time, he says. <sighs> They're overplaying yeah. the hand. Don't they do this all the time? They over- they, We've not they had a discussion. So, they are we need so to have far about out this. there. Oh, I know. I know they're so far out there. If America wanted cannabis to be legal, it wouldn't be just legal in, in 11 states. It'd be legal in like uh, 45 states or something like that. That's not the case. They're ahead. They're ahead of the train again. 
They're making they're making the same mistakes that they always make. They always make the mistake that we'll do do the things that we think could get the youth vote. It's not there. It hasn't been there since you since we changed the voting Never. age. It has never, 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 ever been there, and it's not going to be there this year. Okay, we got to get the news. It's up next. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Stick with us. Got a lot more to talk about here on the, the radio here at 101.1 FM. The answer right now, though, the news. All right, so one of the big stories uh, today is that Joe Biden has uh, now condemned violence in Portland and the violence in Kenosha, and uh, his supporters now are falsely claiming that Biden had not uh, have been uh, has been saying that uh, arsonist looters and violent agitators uh, had to be stopped. Uh, said uh, Dan Crenshaw, congressman from Texas, in a tweet: "Quote: Too little, too late. The left-wing militants have been at war in America cities." For months, and you're only commenting now because the polling has told you to, quote, amazing that after 90 days of silence and not one mention at the DNC on the looting and rioting in the the hashtag Biden riots, Biden finally says something after CNN says it's hurting him in the polls. Weak. That's from Donald Trump uh, Jr., In a Saturday Breitbart piece, commentator John Nolte claimed that I got to get John back on. John claimed that violence raged for 88 days before Joe Biden finally emerged from his Delaware basement bunker and said it was wrong. Biden's statements explicitly condemning looting, arson, destruction of property and violence include a written statement on May 31st, a speech on June 2nd, a speech on July 28th, a video on Wednesday, a written statement on Sunday, and a speech on Monday, is what some are saying. Now, Biden, however, did not forcefully address daily violence and vandalism that took place in Seattle, Washington, and Portland for much of June and July, instead focusing criticism on federal law enforcement officers for harming, quote, peaceful Protesters, remember I read that that cry on for you yesterday from CNN. CNN CNN ran a cry on fiery, peaceful protest. Explain that woman. They were showing buildings on fire, (laughs) fiery, peaceful protest. At the end of July, Biden again started to criticize arsonists, looters, and other violent demonstrators. The former vice president and Democratic presidential nominee has condemned violence on all sides and called out anarchists, but has focused more intention on violence stemming from right-wing groups, white supremacists, and law enforcement than from any kind of anti-fascist factions. And... uh, I can run you down on a timeline on this. We can go back to May 25th. George Floyd, the black Minnesota man, dies after being held by his neck. And uh, Tuesday, May 26th, Biden tweeted a call for an FBI investigation into the officers involved in the death. Protests in Minneapolis began resulting in clashes between those protesting Floyd's death and police, including the use of tear gas. Some police vehicles were set on fire and vandalized. Wednesday, May 27th, during a virtual town hall event, 
Biden called for a Department of Justice investigation into Floyd's death. Quote, George Floyd's life mattered. It mattered as much as mine. It mattered as much as anyone in this country, or at least it should have. That's what he said. Looting erupted in Minneapolis with a viral image showing a target near the 3rd Police Precinct being ransacked. An auto zone near the precinct was set on fire. Protests and riots began to spread nationwide. By June 1st, at least 140 cities across the country had Black Lives Matter protests, and the National Guard was activated in 21 states. Then on Thursday, May 28th, Biden in a virtual fundraiser addressed Floyd and made a passing reference to violence and riots. He said, tonight the National Guard has been called out of Minneapolis and I urge the protesters to exercise their rights peacefully and safely. But people all across this country are enraged and rightly so. That's like telling, uh, you know, somebody don't do something and uh, but I understand why you're doing it. Now, yeah, 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 either either what they're doing is right or it's wrong, and uh, rioting is wrong. Uh, Democratic Minnesota Governor Tim Walz mobilizes the state's National Guard. Late that night, fire started at other area stores and at the Minnesota 3rd Police Precinct. On that Friday, May 29th, Biden delivered a brief address from his home uh, studio saying, quote, the unfolding situation in Minnesota and Floyd's death. Uh, he revealed that he had spoken to Floyd's family. He did not directly condemn the riots and looting in Minnesota during the speech, but he did reference a tweet from President Trump that said, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. And he said, this is no time for incendiary tweets. It's no time to encourage violence. All right, so th- this is where this vice president has been. Uh, he has never explicitly st- come out and said, Black Lives Matter, stand down. He's never come out and said, Antifa needs to stand down. We need to bring them under control. Uh, He's not said any of those types of things. His party hasn't said those kinds of things. They They haven't said anything during the DNC because this is part of their narrative. Exactly. All he's doing right now is the same old, you know, here's the right hand, don't look at what the left hand's doing thing. And his polls have told him he has to come out and say something. He didn't say, you know, it's that same old thing that they always do, kind of passively say some things and then let's just keep moving right along, you know. Uh, <laughs> aggressive gaslighting, aggressive gaslighting. And That's it's what about they're doing. Drive most conservatives crazy. Yeah, it's it is driving, aggressive. You know, it's, it's, most, you know, the farmer, the regular guy, I was telling somebody just yesterday on the phone, the regular guy on the street, the guy that goes out every day and does what he does to make a living for his family, comes home, puts his feet up and relaxes at night or tries to, he's going to look at this and he understands intuitively, instinctively that this is ridiculous. This is, it, it's ludicrous. It's it's bizarre. Well, and it's only driven by the polls. Well, let's talk about something else. Uh, that uh, the the vice president better be paying attention to. Recent polling numbers showing black Americans, African Americans, 26% showing they support this president. Now, we've been telling you that on my show uh, at least every Monday for the past 
several months. And Iverson Jackson, uh, Pastor Iverson Jackson, who's a part of my show, has been telling you that. He talks to people in the black community. And look, it's black voters still in Arkansas are, on the most part, Democrat voters. But a whole, he's saying that he believes maybe as many as 30 percent are going to go for Trump uh, here in the election uh, on November th- uh, 3rd. We'll see if it's that high or not. I know that there's a lot more black folks looking to vote for Trump uh, because Trump is is speaking directly to them. And when you have uh, people who get on CNN and they make mention of uh, black uh, speakers like Senator Tim Scott and others oh. that that showed up on uh, the RNC and you call them nothing more than minstrel players. M I N S C R E L. I can't believe it. See, everybody got upset about Biden saying that if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. You ain't just, black. You you better listen real quickly to what the the left is saying about you if you're conservative in any way or shape or form. They're saying you're nothing but. A whitey in blackface. That's what they are That's saying. Right. That's exactly That's right. what they are saying. They have done this for years, and nobody's called them out on them. I'm calling them out. They used to call you Orioles. Do you remember that one? I remember that one. They called Condoleezza Rice Aunt Shemima. They called uh, Justice Thomas Uncle Tom. Look, I remember all of this. Surely everybody else is remembering. That's the words of the left. That's the words of the liberal Democrats. That's not the words of any Republican. That is the Democrats. That whole that whole thing, a minstrel show, just really set me on fire yesterday. I mean, really does. It's it just again they show us and tell us every day, you know, who they are and how they behave. And what set me off was a similar thing when Bette Midler criticized Melania Trump last oh, week and said something about English. her English. Yeah, oh they, my gosh, the most xenophobic us, statement I think I've ever heard in say. my life. They call us xenophobes. Jimmy exactly, look in the mirror. Exactly. From three, a person three fingers pointing oh. back. <laughs> I mean, you know. these, and they show us and tell us every day. So the, the American voter on the street, the regular guy, we've said it for years, is a lot smarter than many people think. Certainly smarter than the Democrats think at this point. They yeah. believe that what they read on Twitter, okay, is the way the whole country works. Now, I read that Twitter maybe has 20% of the nation. In other words, there's not that many people on Twitter. It is all those blue check people and all those people that like to, you know, keep their little bubble going within themselves, you know, among themselves about all the things they believe in and all the way they want to look at the world every day. But Twitter is not the real world, but that's where the left lives. And they've allowed the, the Democrat party has allowed the left to pull it all the way over. And it's not going to work out for them. Yesterday, one of your, I think it was Wayne, said that pendulum is kind of stuck on that left side. I believe that's true. I believe they've allowed that to happen. Um, yeah, well, you've with Twitter, there, you better believe there could it. could be a bloodletting over all of this later. Yeah, yeah. But by bloodletting, I don't mean people are going to get killed. No, no, I no, do, no, no. I don't mean I believe violently. the people, people in, in power who, are at the, who have been leading uh, the Democratic Party down this primrose path, path of let's do the 1960s over again, 
They're in trouble. They're in. They're going to be in serious, serious trouble. And after the '60s, the late '60s, uh, a more conservative Democrat party came out. Would not surprise me to same, see the same thing happen now uh, for the next 10 to 15 years uh, if Trump wins as big as I think he's going to. Just saying, it, I, I just way, believe it. Yeah, if he wins the way these polls are turning now and the way things are looking. I, all, I see this picture in my mind. We saw it after 2016, all these folks in the street looking up to the sky and screaming at the top of their lungs. Okay, it's going to be like that, except it's going to be a thousand times over. Not only are they going to be upset, not only are they going to be pushing for their agenda, they, I believe that they are going to refuse to accept. Totally. You know, out front, blatantly they will file lawsuits. They will be disruptive. They will refuse to participate. They're already doing that. Look at Pelosi's uh, house up at, up in D.C. When was the last time they ever did any legislation of any consequence? Instead of passing bills that they know full well are never going to make it through the Senate, they have nothing to do with the whole country. All right. They're well, just Elizabeth. up there to propagandize. Well, sure they are. That's all they've been doing yep. for the last three and a half years. That's it. So the American public has a choice this November. All of them are up for re-election. Let's get them out of there. All right. So they we represent take a us. break. Let's take a break. When we come back, I will point out something else that a lot of people haven't considered about the 60s into the 70s. And here we are, the 2000s. Set up. <laughs> here? No, no. I want. There's, there's something good that's going to come out of this. I'll tell you what it is when we return. All here on the Dave Ellswick Show on uh, 101.1 FM. The answer. Hey, by the way, don't forget that the Bible guys are getting ready to come up. Uh, if you'll send your questions to Heidi, H-E-I-D-I, at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com, we'll read them on the air. And uh, our guys will answer them. Bible guys will answer them. I know Scott's going to be here. Steve's going to be here. I hope Billy will be here, but that's still questionable at this time. I haven't heard yay or nay about that. But the Bible guys will be with us starting at 7.05. Get your question in. Heidi, H-E-I-D-I, at SalemLR.com. All right, break, then we're back. Okay, so uh, back to the Dave Ellswick Show. little history lesson here. 1972, Nixon wins by 61% of the vote. The anti-war movement basically burned out. All right? They, they had their day, and uh, we had race riots as well from 65 uh, to 1969. And uh, a real problem uh, as far as, uh, you know, the America was concerned with the burning down of Detroit and Watts and sh- south side of Chicago and things of that nature. And uh, remember that the anti-war movement, there was, there, there was a legitimacy to a lot of uh, what they were saying. Uh, the problem was they had bad actors that went in and uh, took over uh, a lot of that and did things that did not help the cause of the people who were really trying to make a point. 
I think that there is a point being made here in America that we need some reform uh, in our justice uh, uh, folks as far as our police departments and things of that nature. And we need to be able to move the bad actors out of the police departments quicker than what they have been made have been moved out. And part of that is because of the uh, uh, the union situation at times within police departments. Uh, So remember that after Nixon won, just about two and a half years later, April 30th, 1975, what happened, Elizabeth? I don't remember specifically. Sorry. (laughs) All right. The Vietnam War ended. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Vietnam War ended. In 1975. I I believe after this election, and Trump will win, that within um, middle of of his uh, second term, there will be a commission and there will be changes in policing uh, that uh, there will be changes within police departments, not to allow rioters to go crazy, not to allow burning down of buildings, but to do what we try to do with what our uh, consti- not constitution, our declaration says, to form a more perfect, more perfect. Un- union. We'll see changes. Uh, within police departments. I do believe that defunding the police is not the answer. Uh, it, it's more it's deeper than that. It's it's deeper than just money. But money plays a role in it. Uh, look, the, the city's uh, uh, directors, if you want to call it that, the Democrats, Every time that they wanted more taxes in the cities, what do they cry out? We need more money for police. We need more money (laughs) for fire. fire. We need more money for our EMTs. I'm just telling you, they always need more money. What they never say is that we don't budget correctly to take care of the most important issues that we have to do. Yeah, you, you take care of making sure your city is safe first, and you take, uh, you take uh, care of budgeting so that your ambulances run, you, uh, your EMTs are being paid enough that you got a good EMT squad. You do all of those first, and then whatever's left over, just the way we do it at our houses, then you decide what's next in line to be taken care of. But taking care of the uh, citizenry and keeping, and keeping them safe is your number one goal. Why the Democrats forget this every time, uh, I don't know. I really don't know. And and it comes back to bite them in the butt every time. And it's going to bite them in the butt this time as well. All right. That's the way it works. Uh, Liz Harrington was supposed to be on with us at uh, 6. She is going to move to Wednesday. We're going to get her on Wednesday, just so you know, and we'll talk about polling with her. But Ryan Norris will be with us uh, at 6 o'clock tonight to talk about issue one. You won't want to miss this because the governor said that he was going to spend $2 million to get that uh, two cent or half cent uh, sales tax passed. 
uh, instead of being sunsetted. And uh, now the other side uh, has announced that they've got the money to fight it uh, in uh, in in uh, ads on television and radio. Oh, it's going to be whatnot. a struggle. There's going to be there's going to be a a large fight Ooh. about this. So uh, we're going to talk about that in the six o'clock hour this evening. Now, don't forget the Bible guys are coming up. Bible guys are coming up uh, to be. Uh, uh, get your questions in, and you can send in an email to Heidi, H-E-I-D-I, at SalemLR.com. Or don't forget the phone lines will be open, 823 because we're just about out of time now, uh, Elizabeth. I'll have to say goodbye to you, and then we'll uh, talk again for the 6 o'clock hour. And we got a tonight. lot of stuff about that. How about that? Yeah, we got to talk about that tonight. So uh, here's a break. News is next. Then I'll be back, and I'll have the Bible guys with us in just a moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, uh, The Answer. Got a minute till 7 o'clock. guys. Uh, Scott is here. He is the pastor of Agape uh, in Little Rock. We'll have him give you the address and uh, what time the services will be coming up on this Labor Day weekend that looms in front of us. Steve Hess is with us. Uh, is Billy going to be here, guys, or is he still dealing with in, uh, illnesses at home? I believe he is not going to be with us. Okay, he will not be with us today. So we hope to see, uh, uh, of course, Billy in the near future again. I ask everybody to be praying for him and his family. Uh, ask for God's grace and uh, to, to watch over him and for healing. We want to ask for healing because I believe the God of the universe is still the God of the universe. And I Amen. believe that the God that created uh, man that created the earth, created all the animals and everything else, uh, knows us better than we know ourselves. He, uh, and I'm talking about spiritually, uh, mentally, and uh, emotionally, and physically. He knows how we work better than we think we know we work. We think we're so smart all the time. Uh, here's the bottom line. If he just speaks it, 
will be healed. Amen. That's simple. All he's got to do is speak it, and it's done. And so uh, we've got we get questions uh, coming in as we speak. If you have a question that you want to ask our Bible guys today, it's 823-0965. 823-0965. I think I said that slow enough so everybody got it. I've always been, uh, for years, uh, people have told me, you talk too fast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm accused of the same thing, Dave. So, I took my took my time there to say 823-0965. <laughs> Excuse me. I had to take a drink of Diet Coke, went down. Half of it went down the wrong way. <laughs> Here's a question. The first question today is one we get and we have had have gotten several times over. You know, it's almost been three years since you guys started doing this. What? Yeah, almost oh three years. God. Three years. Okay. So uh-huh. uh, the person says, I've, I've heard people say this. <laughs> is it true or not? You got to be baptized to be saved. Why is it that people want to put, uh, you know, extra things on salvation? I mean, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And, uh, you know, they want to put baptism. They want to put speaking in tongues. They want to put this. They want to put that uh, as, uh, you know, those are indicators of salvation, but they're not salvation. Yeah, go for it, Steve. Right. So um, probably the main reason, and you, you'll see it addressed a lot, uh, but the uh, main reason is in Acts 2, um, when they talk about what must I do to be saved, and then Peter said to them, repent, and then let everyone be baptized. <clears throat> because there's that connector to it, but you can also go to Romans 10 um, and 9, where it just says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus uh, died and God rose him from the dead, and you will be saved. So... They'll, they'll put those connections and just put those kind of stipulators with them, and, not, and I'm not sure why. Um, I think that, um, uh, as you said, it's an indicator, um, and, and people should uh, get baptized. There's no reason for any delay or any reason for it not to. It was actually part of conversion to Judaism before um, um, the Gentiles could even just come into um, Israel as we see it today in the church, where they don't need to be do full conversion, and so it was. It was a requirement as part of it anyway. Uh, but does it mean if you don't get baptized that you're not saved? Uh, I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I believe that if it was an absolute requirement, then it would be every single place that you see um, any discussion about Jesus. I mean, it would be on every single page, uh, and we can use a couple of examples. I believe one that I often cite. Um, what was it? Um, the Acts 8, where um, um, Philip is talking um, to the guy on, uh, oh, for crying out loud, help me, Scott. <laughs> was it the Ethiopian? Yeah, that guy. <laughs> um, I believe that's, um, that's the one where we talk about, like, uh, baptism in tongues. It doesn't mention... Um, them doing that, but what it mentioned is, is, does he see what he believes? And then I believe they go and get baptized in the water, but you don't see him getting baptized with the Spirit right then and there. 
you know, believe right. that if those kind of things were absolutely a requirement, then that the Spirit of God would have made an absolute point to make it happen at that point. Yeah, and, 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 uh, I, and I agree. I agree firmly with with what you're saying. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, I think that it's important that um, that when we talk about baptism, we talk about it from you know it's the, the origin of baptism because you know uh, you know John the Baptist was baptizing before Jesus showed up on the scene. Baptism is not a Christian rite. Now it's become a it's a part of the Christian faith. But it's only a part of the Christian faith is because it was a part of the Jewish faith. Um, and, you know, if you rewind, rewind the clock uh, before, um, before, the, uh, before Jesus came along, baptism was, was just part and parcel of the, uh, of, the Christian, of, the, of the Jewish experience. You know, many people don't, don't ask the question, how do you baptize 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem where there is no water source? Um, and the re- how you could do that is all around the Temple Mount, there are baptistries everywhere, because this thing called ritual immersion was always there uh, for people to baptize themselves. The first thing a little Jewish boy learned when he was three years old was how to swim. And the reason why that was the first thing he learned how to do is because he was going to spend the rest of his life baptizing himself. And he was doing it not as a means of being a part of the, the Jewish faith, but as a way of of um, cleansing himself and keeping his heart and himself pure uh, before the before the Lord. So it's not it was never a part of uh, a requirement to be a part of uh, the, you know, the greater body of Judaism, but it was a part of um, of keeping yourself always aware of being pure before God. So um, what Jesus was saying was, hey, listen, when you believe in me, um, then what you're going to do is you're going to just keep on doing what we've done. But now you don't have to keep baptizing yourself all the time. This is this is a a one-time deal, and uh, and so and it, it, the Bible likens it very much into uh, uh, circumcision. I mean, there's a lot of things you can pull in here, but as far as salvation itself, uh, it's pretty clear that uh, you know you believe in your heart, you confess with the mouth, the Lord Jesus, you believe God raised from the dead, then you shall be you shall be saved. Baptism is in a, an, a continuing walking out of of your faith, but not a a requirement to believe. All right, amen. Thank you very much. I appreciate you getting into this today, guys, because I believe there's a lot of people that walk through this life and they give their they give their heart to, to Jesus. But for whatever reason, and I guess maybe it's a prideful na- uh, nature of the human, we always feel that there's got to be something more. Yeah. There's got to yeah. be something. It's like it's like getting a pardon from the president, right? He signs a, a declaration and he hands it to you, and it says to you, "You've been pardoned for everything that you did, you know that you had done wrong. You're not guilty any longer." That's exactly what salvation does for us from Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, I mean, but because because Jesus made it so simple for us to to believe. People feel like you know it, there's got to be more to it than that. It's it got to be, be this, tougher than that. Yeah, it can't be this simple. So, so we have to keep adding these things to it to to make ourselves feel better about about it. But really, he made it as simple as as, as possible for us. Well, it's it, it's done simply, uh, and we can talk a little bit about this before we go to break. It's made simple so that none of us can boast that we did it in the flesh. Yeah. yeah. 
it, it totally pulls away any any works that we would try to put onto our own salvation. And no one can say that they achieve salvation through being good or for doing good things. It's solely upon the, the grace uh, of God through uh, through faith that these things happen. He has made it that simple. And, and, and Jesus said, you know— and why and why and why did Paul say that was important? Lest any man should boast. Boast. That's right. That's correct. So all the boasting is taken away when you know it's a complete act of, of grace through faith. Jesus said, you know, "If you're going to come to me, you have to come to me as a as a little child." You know, and I think most of us will realize you know, little children can't go out and and do much. But what they do is children have just unadulterated faith. You know, you, you know, daddy puts them on top of a car and says, "Jump!" The kid jumps fully believing that dad's going to catch them. I mean, God is yeah. looking for that simple faith that says, I, Daddy, I trust you, and I jump into your arms. And there's just, it's totally on Daddy to catch me. And, uh, and he's, looking for, he's looking for that. And we don't need to be adding anything to it. Yeah, there's so much, uh, and we can get into raising kids and how it, it reflects the Father and us. Uh, in yeah. so many in so many different ways. All right, it's seventeen after seven here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We got uh, some more questions. We're going to ask about uh, coming up. Why do you think Christians minimize Satan? We're going to talk about that when we come back because he has been minimized. Because you know they they've drawn cartoons of him with horns and a tail and all that. That ain't Satan, folks. Let me tell you what. He's much more powerful than that, and he ain't no joke. And we'll talk about it when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. The Bible guys are here. you got a question. Uh, send a, your question to Heidi, H-E-I-D-I, at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R, dot com. That's Heidi at Salem, L-R, dot com. Or call 501 823 Six five. A new question when we return here on, uh, of course, 101.1 FM, The Answer. But before I do a break here, let me remind you about good friends of mine over at PI Roofing. PI Roofing uh, takes care of that last defense that you have against the outside uh, uh, agents of this world, so to speak, the rain, sleet, the snow. Right now, my roof is doing a great job of uh, protecting me from rain because we got a thunderstorm going on here in Cabot. It's a, it's a rumbling and it's a flashing around here, and I uh, haven't looked outside to see uh, the, uh, the rain yet because it's still kind of dark, which tells me that uh, it's a thunderstorm over top of us right now because right now typically it's pretty starting to lighten up out there, uh, not lightening up at all i can't make anything out looking out on my patio at all uh, and but i don't worry about the rain why because uh, pi roofing's taking care of my roof uh, they've got it working the way it's supposed to do the rain hits the roof uh, the shingles and whatnot shed the water off uh, it moves to the gutter system on my uh, my house and carried away from my foundation so um, my uh, house is safe and that's what uh, PI Roofing wants to do for you. It's a real simple proposition. You call them, they come out. Uh, you got a problem, you tell them what it is, they'll fix it. 707-3551. 707-3551. That's the number for PI Roofing or visit them at piroofing.com. 
All right, we continue with the Bible, guys. 24 minutes after 7 on a Tuesday. Rush is coming up at 7.30. Remember, send your questions to Heidi right now. H-E-I-D-I. H-E-I-D-I at Salem, L-R, uh, dot com, and they'll get to her, and she'll get them to me. Or you can call. Please feel free to use the phone, 823-0965, 823-0965. Here's your question, gentlemen. i got two questions for you, says this uh, listener. First, why do you think Christians minimize Satan? I sometimes feel like the... Like Christians don't believe in them by things that they say. With that said, let's turn it over to Scott and to Steve, and let's see what they have to say. Go, guys. Um, okay, um, I'll just kind of take a um, kind of a theological um, kind of position on this as far as why people do this. It really, um, the minimization came in through, um, I think, through John Calvin. You know, we have... There are two groups, mainly two groups of people on the earth. Either you're a, a Calvinist or you're an Armenian. Calvinists believe in more or less um, the sovereignty of God to the point that God controls every single thing that happens. And then Armenians who believe uh, in free will, whereas Calvinists don't believe in free will. Um, and John Calvin, his um, his kind of theology kind of really took hold in a lot of our major denominations. And because Calvinists believe that God controls every single thing that happens, uh, even Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was a Calvinist, he said that, that even the dust particles that float through the air have their, have their trajectory planned out by God. So when you begin to believe that God is actually doing everything, then you tend to accept everything as the will of God that's happening. And so it start getting confused as to what might be coming from the enemy and what might be coming from from the Lord. And so what happens is you tend to make sure you tend to think everything is from God, which obviously by default minimizes whatever the enemy might be um, trying to do. So I think from a theological perspective, it, it deals a lot with with uh, John Calvin's uh, theology on the sovereignty of God uh, in, in that way. Steve, what do you think? Yeah, and they'll also look at the story of Job, and they'll see that the enemy was not allowed to do anything unless God gave him permission to do so. So that would be another uh, site that most people would take up to say, see, that the devil can't do anything unless God allows him. But yet we also have where it says that the enemy walks around the earth like a roaring lion, seeing whom he may destroy. And I think the um, other—I also think it's probably because we swarm the other way. Because it used to be that we would blame the devil for everything, and then people liked having <clears throat> that get out of the free car, get out of jail free car, where they weren't really accountable for their actions. You know, the devil made me feel it, or the devil been riding me all week and making me do this and that, and and then we've kind of moved away from that because there's seems to be more of an accountability. And but I think ultimately it comes back to what Scott was referring to is that people trust in the absolute sovereignty of God and believing that the enemy can't do anything unless God has allowed it um, for his purposes or his plans. And that would, it, be the, that would be the main reason I think people diminish him. Isn't it important, though, for people to have a clear understanding of who Satan is? He's not omnipotent. I mean, right. he, you know, if, if you're one of God's elect, if you're, if you're saved... Uh, 
you know, Satan can't do basically much of any, make you do anything that you don't want to do. Is that Correct. true or false? Correct. You have your own free will. You have a choice. The enemy can whisper into your ear, or you can have your own rebellious nature take over. Uh, it can be one of two ways. But either way, it's the your response to either a thought or an interjection by the spirit realm, whether it be by the spirit of God trying to lead you in a certain direction or the enemy trying to lead you in a certain direction. But ultimately, it is your responsibility, and you are the one that's going to have to give an account for it. Um, but you can't kind of fluff that off on one side or the other. Yeah, I, I agree. It's kind of like when people say, you make me so mad. No, I don't. You allow yourself to get angry. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. The um, um, you know, the Bible says that we shouldn't be ignorant of the devil's devices. And so as believers, we have to be prepared for the fact and be armed with the, for the knowledge that the enemy does have devices. He does set snares and traps for us. But we're supposed to be smarter than that and be led by the Spirit. We have authority in the name of Jesus to rebuke and resist. The Bible says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But if you don't know how to resist or if you don't, you can't discern what you should be resisting, then then you are going to put yourself in, in, a, in a place of, of danger. But we've been given the name of Jesus, the Word of God, um, the, the ability in the Spirit to firmly um, fight this battle. And, you know, one thing that believers must also know, and that is that, that we are in a warfare. Uh, the Bible calls us soldiers. The Bible says that, that, we, we're, that we, we do not war against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places. So we war against those things. And what do you do in war is you fight. You fight, right. you stand. You know, yep. so there's a... So you have to, we have to know how to do those things. But if you, if you take all that away and you, and you muddy the waters and now you can't Scott, figure out what... I've got to jump in. Got to hold your yep. thought. We'll pick it up on the other side. Time for us now to get to Rush Limbaugh. It's 25 minutes until 8 o'clock. you got 25 minutes to uh, get to work, so keep that in mind. And uh, I don't know about where you're at, but where I'm at right now, uh, it doesn't look like the sun has even hit the horizon yet. It is pitch black yeah. outside, and you can't see what's what's going on out there. And it's been raining to beat the band. So uh, keep, that in, keep that in mind today about flash flooding, things of that nature. Do not drive into flowing water across the uh, highways. Uh, Scott Stewart's with us. He's the pastor over at Agape Church. Uh, uh, Scott, tell them where you are located at and what time your services are for this coming Sunday. Yes, our services are at uh, 9 o'clock and at 10.30. This is at uh, 701 Napa Valley Drive in West Little Rock. Um, We we keep the social distancing. We have the uh, hand sanitizers everywhere. There's a mask available if you'd like to use it when you uh, when you come in. Uh, we don't require it, but if you if you want to wear one, you're you're certainly welcome to do that. Um, and we do have a mask only service for those who who want to be in a fully masked environment. That's also at nine o'clock. It's in the uh, it's in the life center building, which is our the building on the lower part of the property. You'll see it when you come in. Um, so everybody's welcome. Uh, and, uh, and listen, we also have an academy. If anybody's looking to put their kids in um, in uh, school in a preschool. Uh, you can go to agapeacademy.org. Uh, we have plenty of spaces open right now just because there's a lot of a lot of fear out there. A lot of people are pulling their children uh, out or not putting their kids 
in. And so um, if you're looking to get them into a good a good place, it teaches them not only reading, writing, and arithmetic, but also the Word of God, then um, Agape Academy is a place for you. All right. The uh, secondary question from our gentleman who asked about do uh, Christians minimize Satan was, besides daily devotionals, do you have a recommendation for daily Bible study that's Messianic, Jew- Jewish-related? I started attending Agape a month ago because of this show. And, uh, hey, Steve, let me let you t- give a, a word about the Academy. Oh, the, uh, <laughs> um, the American Institute. Yes. Yeah, so that's actually one of the things that since I've been kind of sitting and one of the things that's on my list to do is to take some of the curriculum that we use at the American Institute, which it's a, it's a, it's a Hebrew Roots Bible College. So if you're interested in any further studies, then I highly encourage you to go to the American Institute.org. Um, you can take classes if you fully want to get a degree and learn things from a Hebraic perspective. Um, or you can just observe the classes, audit the classes for a quarter of the price and just learn the information. But one of the things that it's on my mind to do is to actually maybe take the, the curriculum and, and make it um, part of it for a beginner, for somebody who would ask this kind of question, to where maybe we can pare down some of the classes where it can be some of an introductory kind of thing and, and maybe less college-focused. Um, so that's just something that's on my mind uh, to develop. Um, I've recommend uh, First Fruits of Zion stuff. They have some pretty good material that goes along with the Torah portions uh, for those that might be interested in that. And they're, they're pretty balanced. Um, but I don't know of a whole lot of other guys um, that have a, a, a set curriculum. Uh, most of their studies just follow a, a weekly Torah portion, uh, which is the breakdown of the five books of Moses. But outside of a specific curriculum, outside of them, I'm not familiar with any. I don't, are you, Scott? Uh, Bill, yeah, I was going to suggest uh, First Fruits of Zion. If you're looking to, for a thoroughly Messianic uh, Bible study, they, uh, uh, First Fruits of Zion has something called Torah Club, uh, which yeah. kind of uh, walks you through um, um, uh, the, the, the Torah, and you find uh, they're always um, bringing out a lot of really good and interesting things. If you're looking for for that that type of uh, that type of thing. So, um, but uh, just going back to what Steve was saying about the American Institute, this is this is a um, a college that we run at, at the at the um, through the um, actually it's on campus at our. At our campus, you can go to AmericanInstitute.org and you can uh, read up on on those type of things. You can actually take one of the courses, as Steve was saying, just by auditing it. You could you could actually purchase the course and use that as a uh, a study if you would uh, if you'd like to do that as well. And it's not expensive if you're auditing. No. I mean, it's like fifty bucks. That's not bad at all. Yeah, yeah, it's very very inexpensive. If you're just going to audit it. It's only about only fifty dollars. So um, that is a uh, well, that's cheap. All right. So, uh, Got another question for you. You ready? Yep. Okay, you said fr- first fruits of Zion. Is that .com, .org, or what? Uh, .org, I believe. .org. All right, here we go. Dear Bible Guys, and and Scott, I'm I'm going to allow Steve to, jo- uh, to jump on this first because he's spoken okay. about it before. I met someone the other day who says they are Messianic. I asked where they worshipped, and they told me that they just met in their home. Is this common for Messianic? 
I, I mean, why would people do that when they could go to Dr. Stewart's church and find a community that embraces those truths? As a matter of fact, I have found many in the vein, in that vein of belief to be very reclusive and somewhat exclusive. Is this a normative messianicism or is it just that they don't like me? <laughs> um, um, the Messianic community um, is is pretty strongly, you know, sectarian in a sense. Where they, um, okay. So when when you come to understand that a lot of the traditional things that we have come to believe in church, um, things about the resurrection and Easter and Christmas and and the fact that uh, Sunday is when it was changed by Constantine in the three sixties. Uh, from Saturday was the Sabbath changed and that kind of stuff. Then once you begin to grab a hold of that stuff, um, you tend to, um, most tend to um, really just separate from everything that's traditionally church. Some, unfortunately, go uh, extreme, and then they will call Sunday church people uh, pagans because they worship on the Sunday, uh, Sun God Day, um, or because they still celebrate um, the birth of the Messiah on uh, Christmas or resurrection on Easter, they'll call them pagans and they'll get very extreme. Um, and it's, it's like a lot of people, a lot of people do that stuff. We, I mean, well, when we, even when we first get saved, we get very aggressive about being for the world and then now being for God. <clears throat> but yeah, they, it, there's a couple reasons. One, it's because it isn't shown like that. Um, but the other side is, it's because we're a relatively small community. And there's not a, a, a lot of places that that people went through the process of either becoming a organized um, body where they would do a 501c3 and all of that. As a matter of fact, the congregation that a friend of mine and I started 10 years ago was the first one to do it in Arkansas because most of them, they were all just house churches. I have another friend of mine that started one in West Little Rock. And, they, um, and because they're small, usually somewhere around 10 to 20, Occasionally, 30 people, they just tend to meet in homes because they're small and because they are very sectarian in their mind as far as how different. Um, as why some may not come to Agape, that's going to be part of the reason that, you know, like okay, we haven't had a uh, Sabbath service yet, so they won't um, fully embracing uh, things from a Messianic perspective, even though if they were to come, they would hear how Pastor Scott primarily focuses on the Feast of the Lord and doesn't address or deal with um, the, the the secular side of what traditional Christianity celebrates. Um, but because of that sectarian nature, they, they tend to not even come and listen. So there's a couple other reasons, I guess, but those are the main. Okay. All right. Next question, because <clears throat> I think you guys did a good job. Let me ask the question. I'll give you about three and a half minutes to think about it, and we'll come and do the final segment today. The final segment already, guys. Ready. Uh, could you all explain some very obvious differences between Greek and Hebrew thinking? I ask this because you guys are always discussing the Hebraic way as opposed to the Greek way. And so I was just wondering if there are any outstanding examples. I would like to ask that each Bible guy give an example that they feel is relevant. All right. That's what you guys get to talk about when we come back. It's the Bible Guys here on the Dave Ellswick Show. You can call in your question, 823-0965, or send your question to Heidi, H-E-I-D-I, at 
Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R.com. All right. Uh, could you explain some very obvious differences between Greek and Hebrew thinking? I ask this because you guys are always discussing the Hebraic way as opposed to the Greek way. And so I was just wondering if there are any outstanding examples. I'd like to ask that each Bible guy give an example they feel is relevant. So, Scott, you're up. Okay. Um, well, there's a lot of directions you can go on this. Um, uh, if you take it um, just just kind of gen- generally at first, um, the, um, the Hebrew language was the original language. It was the first language that ever had uh, an alphabet. We believe it was the language given to the uh, Adam and Eve uh, by God. So the language of Hebrew is built around the honor and worship and understanding of, of God, whereas the Greek language is built within paganism. It's uh, mythology. It's uh, the pagan. It's, it's, it's all the all of your mythological gods. It is based around a completely different culture. If you speak more than one language, you know that language is based in culture. And if you accept that the Greek came from a very polytheistic pagan culture, whereas Hebrew came from a monotheistic um, uh, godly culture in that way, then you see that the language itself contains information about about uh, who God is and how God works. Uh, and so the language itself will affect will affect um, culture. And then just, just as a quick uh, example, we all know that you know the, the Greeks invented the Olympics. It was very much of a worship of the uh, of the body, very humanistic, very man centered in that way. And I'm just take one word. I mentioned this actually this past Sunday. The word for repentance in in um, in Hebrew is the word teshuvah, and it, it has to do with doing something. You're doing something wrong, walking away from God, and you stop and you turn around and you start doing things that are right, going back towards the Lord. It's a very uh, a very um, active, um, very God-centered idea, whereas the Greek word for repentance is the word metanoia, and it simply means change your mind. And so when you look at the way the Greeks think about repentance, it's very you-centered. It's about you just changing your mind about a topic or a subject. It's not God-centered. It's very hu- very you-centered, very humanistic in that, in that way. So you can see that just by that one word, it's a very prominent word in the Bible, and if you approach repentance from a Hebraic perspective, you get a view that moves you back to God. If you approach from a Greek perspective, you get it very focused on the individual and merely a change of mind having nothing to do with the heart. All right. Steve? Yeah, the, the biggest thing I always use to show is um, the parallel understandings of Scripture. <clears throat> we, uh, from a Greek mindset, take a a plus B equals, you know, A plus B equals C, therefore A equals C, kind of a Western mentality. And therefore, anytime we see something in the scriptures, we'll look at something like the story of Noah and the story of Lot, and we'll add those two things together, and that equals a um, a picture of the rapture. And we'll, we'll try and make these things run in a particular sequence in order, and that's not how Hebraic thought works. And not only does it not work necessarily in this particular linear way like that, there's a lot of times um, that when I speak to people about thinking this way, they take an absoluteness um, in everything. And there are certain things that there are absolute uh, in the Scriptures, and then there's other things that parallel and layer and shadow and have multiple meaning and multiple fulfillments, multiple understandings. And that's very difficult 
um, for those ways raised in a Western mindset that they'll look at something and they'll see something in the scripture. And if you tell them that not only did that happen once, but it could happen again, that it blows their mind. Uh, and that's the biggest thing is to kind of look at things in, in layering, not so much as in linearly as in a straight line. And then everything is going to connect in a nice, perfect sequence. Uh, we know that's not true because if it was true, then um, everybody would have clearly seen who Yeshua was when he first showed up, but they didn't because there were these things that were layered throughout the story um, that people missed. And so that, for me, that's the biggest thing to try and understand is that uh, if you say something has parallels or multiple meanings uh, and, and both statements that somebody believes can both simultaneously be true, that usually blows a lot of people's minds up. All right. Yeah, I was, I was going to, Go ahead. Just really quickly, uh, when it comes to the whole Greek and Hebrew uh, thought, uh, Greek thinking, it, it can't stand um, uh, a, um, a contradiction, whereas Hebrew thought can, can easily handle what seems to be a contradiction, even though it's not. It seems to be, with, with the thought being this, uh, I don't understand this verse, but I expect it to be true because I know the one who wrote it is smarter than me. Whereas the Greek person says, I don't understand that verse. I'm not going to act on it until I can understand it. So in other words, we say, I, I will do it, God, when I can pull you down far enough to where I can actually, with my little brain, comprehend you. Whereas the Hebrew says, I'm going to do it, even though I don't understand it, because the one who wrote it is a lot bigger than me. And it's a, it's a very different way of looking at it. All right. Last question. This goes back to the question we had last week and we've had before. Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, and this says, uh, I have interviewed over 300 kids concerning child abuse. How can you tout free will at the cost of an innocent being raped or otherwise physically abused? How can I tell that child who has been so defiled and betrayed that God loves them? and that God allowed free will of another to supersede that child's welfare when that child has done nothing wrong. Right, well, this, wow. this is a big, a, big, uh, a big big, topic to discuss at the end of the show, and unfortunately. We'll, and, we'll, and we'll talk about it again. I'm going to hold this question again, and I'll yeah. uh, repeat it next week. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be that would be good to do because I think that uh, to open up that can of worms uh, because there is an answer um, uh, for this, um, but and of course the it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in, earlier in the show about the about the devil and the way you talk to a child about about the devil about the enemy and how all that works that's a that's a pretty big pretty big topic which requires a lot of understanding of where the child is at what the child can handle and how you would explain it to them. Um, you know, but there's a little, I don't know how old this, how old this child is. You know, does, does a child even understand the concept of free will? You know, I mean, you, you, you there's a lot, there's a lot, be, there's a lot that would be involved in trying to explain this, uh, this situation, but there is an answer for it. Okay. Well, let's leave that until next week, shall we? And yeah. let's just consider that this question may take up our whole hour <laughs> next week. Yeah. <clears throat> It's the, because there's, there's, there, there's several different slices 
uh, of pie here to answer this. I mean, she's presented a whole big pie. We're going to yep. have to cut it up into slices to be able to eat it. You can't eat a whole elephant, as we like to say. you got to do it one bite at a time. And we'll, yep. we'll begin to do that on next can, Tuesday. Can you send that email or can I send that email to us just so we can look, you know, look over it during the week? I'll have Heidi send it to you. Okay, great. Okay, good. All right, make it. Yeah, I shall make question. it so. It, well, it's a hard question for people, and it's a hard question for people to answer, uh, to to handle because it has we're to blame, not God. We're right. to blame, and that's the thing that people don't want to hear. Right, right. Yeah, it goes back to the, the state of the world. You know, the fall, we're in a fallen state. In a yes. fallen state, certain things happen. Certain things are possible. Uh, and it does come back to human responsibility. And we, we're, we're a society that wants to be completely free of any responsibility whatsoever. Um, I'm not saying that's the answer to that question, but that's a mindset a lot of people have. Yep. Yep, because, you know, people have got to get over the whole mindset that, at his core, and I said this last week, man is good. No, he's not. Yeah. If, if, if that was the case, uh, you wouldn't be locking your doors at night. You'd leave your doors unlocked. Go ahead, Steve. It. You had something you wanted to add. Well, I was just going to say you can, you can take the question all the way back to why did he allow the enemy to trick Eve? Why did he allow Cain to kill yeah. Abel? Why? So yeah. there, it's, it's a very deep theological question of why, why he allows this whole thing to have started in motion, which throughout the last 6,000 years has caused great pain and destruction uh, to humankind. And it's a very deep theological question. Um, and to try and articulate that, uh, to a child and why God would allow such a wicked thing to happen to the most innocent among us is a is a very deep and difficult question. Well, I'm going to tell you what, uh, I don't think I would be talking to the child here. I think I would be talking to the person because the person is asking the question. Yeah. The right. adult. Right. The adult is asking the question. Hey, we're out of time. And uh, we're not begging this question. We're not begging off. We just need more time, and we're going to do that next Tuesday. So if you ask that question or if it's in your mind, you be back here next Tuesday at 7 o'clock. And we're going to spend a, I think we're going to spend a whole hour talking about original sin and freedom of choice and, and some very deep, deep spiritual issues. Uh, here on Sounds the Bible, good. guys. Thank you, guys. I'll nice. see you next Thanks, Tuesday Dave. here on the All Dave right. Ellswick Show. We'll take a break, and we'll get uh, we'll be back in just a minute uh, at six o'clock tonight. I'll see you on the Dave Ellswick Show.
All right, welcome to the 6 o'clock hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. You know, more and more people have uh, been contacting me and saying that they like that I'm on at 6 o'clock in the evening because they get to listen to me going to work and coming home from work. So going (laughs) or coming, you get to hear me here on uh, 101.1 FM, uh, The Answer, and I'm glad you join us at 6 o'clock. We have made this into a special uh, standalone hour that – has a lot of important subjects that we talk about and a very important subject that we'll talk about today uh, dealing with issue one. Issue one is uh, about roads in uh, Arkansas, how we're going to finance them, how we're going to pay for them. And the governor wants to take a half cent sales tax that was supposed to have sunset set it this year and make it not only permanent, but he wants to make it part of the Arkansas Constitution. Now, I will tell you that I'm against Issue 1. Not so much that I'm against the half-cent sales tax per se, but I am definitely against the half-cent sales tax being cemented into our Constitution. I am absolutely against that and joining me here for the next half hour is going to be uh, ryan norris he is the head of americans for prosperity here in arkansas along with elizabeth soltolaro she's back with us again she was with me from the six o'clock to seven o'clock hour this morning here on uh, the dave ellswick show so guys i mean this is the bottom line on this are the people of arkansas going to vote a tax in that is part of the Constitution of the state. I hope to God not. But, uh, you know, people want to have, you know, I don't know, gold-plated roads to drive on or something. And they're, and they're, willing, they're willing to break some really key principles as far as I'm concerned. So, Ryan, I'll let you begin uh, about this. Uh, am I wrong in being so adamantly opposed to making a tax part of our state constitution? Uh, you're not in a, in a minority, according to uh, what we've been researching and finding out. And uh, so for, for all disclosure, yes, I'm the state director of Americans for Prosperity. But at this moment, I'm speaking to you as the chair of the Legislative Question Committee, that is filing today in the state of Arkansas titled No Permanent Tax, No on Issue 1. And there are a lot of good reasons to be against Issue 1, and we'll get into those. But, again, on the recap, Dave, you did really well. It's a half-cent statewide sales tax uh, that they want to permanently add to the Arkansas Constitution. And it was originally passed back in 2012. Um, they're calling this a continuation uh, of the tax, asking for a continuation Uh but originally passed in 2012, again, with the same promises that it was going to roads. Uh, the I-30 bridge expansion was placed in there that within this 10-year period, because that's the, the amount of time this was originally uh, agreed to by, by voters, it was supposed to sunset. And the sunset period is actually in 2023. Um, at that time, again, the same folks that are telling us now that this is going to create large amounts of jobs. In fact, the Pine Bluff commercial article that I found from 2012 um, one of our road executives was saying it was going to create 50,000 jobs. I don't remember 50,000 being created in the state in that time. And now they've taken that down to 3,600 uh, jobs. But, again, 
they're asking this to be uh, placed into the Constitution, and they're saying that it's not raising taxes. But I would give you the analogy that if you had agreed to pay for a car payment for a five-year period, and then the the, uh, lending company comes to you and said, well, you're so used to writing that check. Why did you just keep on writing those for the rest of your life? Uh, All of us would, would take you know, take a step back on that and be like, hey, I don't think this is fair. I don't think this is right. Uh, In fact, uh, someone who uh, I philosophically and politically may may have disagreements with, Max Brantley of the Arkansas Times, he said in a blog post that to his way of thinking, a new tax is a tax increase if the rate on the effective date would otherwise be lower. I mean, Max even is, is pointing out that it's not intellectually... Uh, honest, honest to say that, <laughs> yes, intellectually honest to say on that date it would be 6%, but you're going to then continue it on at 6.5% if you pass this. Uh, so, again, lots of different reasons to be against this. Uh, we are, we believe that, you know, you, we should hold government accountable to the, to the promise they made back in 2012. Uh, over and over, you'll find in the research that where they kept saying, "Hey, this is this should only be this is only for ten years, only for ten years," and so that was the big selling point. Um, and then they had promised that during that time that there would be better solutions, that they would migrate some taxes from general funds such as sales, uh-huh. uh, car sales, car parts, etc. But they never they never gave it the effort. Uh, Scott Bennett in a uh, mall mail town hall said that they attempted twice to pass similar bills. That may be true, but I never saw RDOT out there lobbying as hard for those bills as they did for this one. And the reason being is that when you make a permanent tax in the Constitution that you never have to go back to the people on, uh, you know, you're getting rid of those pesky voters and, and their feelings and attitudes about, you know, about uh, how you're spending their money. Yeah, and, and and that's this is really important for everybody to understand. This was supposed to sunset. It was ten years and gone, and it mm-hmm. now they're they're trying to, t- to to change the whole narrative and saying, but we need it. We got to keep it going because we just can't get by not having that half percent. That shows mm-hmm. you more than anything else. The mindset of a politician, he gets his claws into you and he wants to hold on to uh, to your money. That's that he considers it his money now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and that's a very good way of putting it, Dave, is that they're they're saying, hey, you've already given this to us. Just keep on doing it. And, you know, there's there's a lot of questions about that and a lot of questions about how the money's being spent. Uh, You know that. Currently, uh, RDOT is, has a consultant. We're paying uh, $722,000 for a consultant guidehouse. And just in their initial findings, there's a range of about $21 uh, million to about $34 million in uh, operational improvements that guidehouse is suggesting. And that's not even really with everything being considered yet. Uh, you can look, look, go to RDOT and look through the, the guidehouse report there. So there needs to be reforms. There are ways of, of creating greater efficiencies in RDOT. We are not against roads. We're not against road maintenance. We're just against this false dilemma that's being presented that if you don't, if you don't vote for this, 
then all the roads fall apart. Or if you vote for this, all of your wildest dreams about roads will come true. And they've had the 10-year period. They gave us all of these promises, you know, tens of thousands of jobs, uh, I-30 bridge replacement, uh, other other promises that they had made that they haven't quite gotten around to. And and now they're saying, well, we, we need more money and we need more time. And it's not even just asking for another 10-year period. They're asking for an infinite year period. Uh, and that's just that's just not right. The, the Constitution, Dave, I know you believe this. Constitutions are designed to protect rights and put parameters around government, not to put in a half-cent sales tax and make it permanent for the entire state of Arkansas. Yeah, that's right. But the key is now they want a permanent tax in Arkansas, and it, it really breaks my heart that it's a Republican that's doing this. That really breaks my heart. Well, you know, uh, that's why we have to, as Arkansans, we need to find, uh, you know, reach out to our friends, reach out to our neighbors, uh, no matter what their their maybe political affiliation may be, and. As citizens, we need to hold our government accountable and find those areas where, as citizens, we can align on uh, certain policy areas. Uh, for example, the vice chair of uh, of the Legislative Question Committee, No Permanent Tax, No One Issue One, is uh, Joshua M. Silverstein, who is with the uh, is a contemporary of one of our favorite people, Dr. Robert Steinbuck. Yeah, and, he's been on uh, my show, both of them. Yeah. Yes, and uh, you know Joshua has been a part of uh, of fighting the one of the most expensive projects that Arkansas would ever see in the I thirty bridge replacement. And there's reasons that he has, and and those that he represent have for fighting those issues. A lot of those is about holding government accountable, making sure that they're not just dotting I's and crossing T's, but those those I's they're dotting and the T's they're crossing actually have meaning. That they're not just checkboxing things. And I get that. I mean, I'm all for holding government accountable too. There's also those that are concerned about the environmental impact of some of these. Uh, some of these projects that are being presented. Uh, there's also the fiscal aspect of it, because Arkansas is, is a we're the second highest combined sales tax in the nation. So state and local sales taxes, Arkansas ranks number two, only beat out by our neighbor Tennessee, and they don't they do not have a state income tax. So we keep on getting squeezed, and they keep on boiling the Arkansas taxpayer by these half percents and by these quarter percents, and. I'm thinking that we're getting to a place, Dave, to where the Arkansas taxpayer is going to be in revolt. And as an indicator, I point around to in the last year or two, there have been multiple attempts by local uh, and county governments to pass taxes, and they're getting roundly defeated. And that's because the Arkansas taxpayer is kind of at their boiling point uh, on on giving government their money and all, always under the guise of doing some kind of good, you know, public good. Yeah, I. Uh, they, they always say I can do more with your money than you can do with your money. That's that's always their their talk. All right, so Elizabeth, your thoughts on this? Well, I know that roads seems to be the selling point here, and I don't want us to overlook it if people are not aware. Our legislature isn't this one of the three referred. Um, issues that come every single election as a constitutional amendment? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. 
So what that means is they have the right to put in front of the people, and they never miss an opportunity, never let a crisis go to waste. We always have something in front of us that's a constitutional amendment. And I just, I have fundamental issues with that. I don't think that document was designed to be altered three and four times every two to four years. And I just don't believe on that fundamental level and everything else you say, of course, I think here in Faulkner County, we have a huge fight going on about an existing tax that's split between our road department and our sheriff's office, 50-50. And we have been in a fight for many years now, up to about 12 years, to get that split changed over to help the sheriff's department. But, oh, Mm -hmm. my gosh, our county department tells people the roads, the roads, the roads. So you're going to hear an immense pushback from the establishment on any issue with taxes when it has to do with roads. And they want people to think that that is more important than any other thing in their pocketbook. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and that's, Go ahead. Uh, that's an interesting point, too, because uh, as we've done, done a little bit of research and asked some questions of individuals, uh, the roads were not the high and top priority uh, that that people were concerned about right now uh it was they would want us to think that they would want us to think that you know it's unemployment it's um it's health care issues public safety safety. yes it's education issues (laughs) yeah things like that and and so i know that uh in this time that highways weren't even the top discussion when it came to uh back in november State chamber right. had, you know, workforce industry got together and talking about, and what were the most concerning things for them were K through 12 education, higher education, and roads were just tacked on at the end when the chamber got up and said, "Hey, don't forget to vote for the half cent sales tax." But even among, um, you know, e- even among the businesses and those, that, you know, particularly small businesses, it hasn't been the top priority at the moment. And COVID even made that, I think, more. Uh, made it less of an issue as we are concerned about other things. Okay. Let's see. There's many things competing for the pocketbook. Okay. Let's hold up. Let's hold up guys. Let's take a break and then come back and talk further. Ryan Norris is our special guest. He's the the, uh, state director of uh, Americans for Prosperity here in Arkansas. He joins us today, and uh, he is leading the charge against uh, Issue 1. We'll talk more about Issue 1 as we uh, continue. Elizabeth is here as well. Uh, Ryan, if we need to, can you go longer than a half hour? I can. All right. Well, we may have to go longer than a half hour. When we come back, what's it going to take to beat Issue 1 because the governor says he's got $2 million to fight for it. How much money we got to fight against it? We'll talk about that when we continue on the Dave Ellswick Show. you just joined us, you missed uh, the first segment of the 6 o'clock hour. Uh, we are talking about issue one. This is an issue that be on the ballot on November 3rd, asking for your vote to uh, continue a half-cent sales tax that was passed about 10 years ago and was said that it was going to go sunset in 10 years. And uh, if you wanted more taxes, you had to vote on more taxes. But they want to just continue this half-cent sales tax. They're putting it under the auspices of roads, and they want it to be part of uh, our Constitution, which I am 
just really, really against. Adamantly and I believe, against. And I believe that you should be against it as well. Ryan Norris is with us. He is the uh, chairman of the uh, Arkansas uh, for Prosperity movement here in the state. Uh, but instead of just AFP right now, there's a whole group coming together to fight against this half-cent sales tax. And, Ryan, I, I just wanted to touch base with this because for people on uh, that fight from the right, they have mm-hmm. a hard time, I believe, fighting with people <laughs> from the left. And, and, here's the, and here's the key. Reagan didn't have that problem. He understands right. coalitions were very, very, very important. This is a coalition that we need to pull together. The The left is not saying, hey, we want the half-cent sales tax. They're saying, no, we don't want the half-cent sales tax. And right. if they're going to do that, then they are with us on this matter, and we need to uh, work with them uh, to defeat a half-cent sales tax. Right. Well, you know, uh, one of my favorite Republicans... Frederick Douglass said, I would work with anyone to do good and no one to do harm. And this is one of those ish, those times to where, as Arkansans, we can have different perspectives on the same thing, but be ally, allied either for or against. And uh, what I've found out is that there are reason and, and good reasons and good causes that uh, – friends and allies of, of ours on the left have against issue one. Uh, there's a, environmental issues. There's issues with this being too uh, too tied down to just roads and, and bridges. You know, they're like, what about other transportation? Uh, all these kind of, of conversations we can have after the fact, should we be able to, to vote this down? Um, so accountability, you know, they, they're like more accountability for government bureaucracy. We think that that needs to happen. Uh, less spending in certain areas. And, I mean, there's there's ways of finding in the Venn diagram the overlapping spaces that we can collaborate together. And I think it's very important now more than ever that we try to find cause to work together. I'm, I'm a big person. My One of my mantras right now is let's preserve the union. I think we're fracturing so much as a society that we need to find the common principles and find the common visions that we can all coalesce around. Let's have our disagreements, but let's at first uh, come, come together around those shared visions and principles, work together, develop relationships, and then that's going to make the uh, the, the policies on the back end of that so much better so much richer so much more collaborative uh so yes dave you're you're right on we need to work with uh, anyone who is uh, willing to work alongside of us yeah that what well, how's it go the 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 friend of uh see the enemy of my enemy is my friend is isn't that how it the, goes that that is uh that is one way of looking at it but the interesting part is uh, when you're sitting across from someone, you've been working together, you can become friends, have disagreements. Yes, have those disagreements, but they can be uh, constructive disagreements that actually share and exchange ideas. And they're not just uh, being obtuse and and, uh, and entrenched uh, and you can find common causes. So, again, with issue one, not liking across the political spectrum, not liking the half cent sales tax being in the Constitution, not liking that it's permanent, that, you know, there's going to be basically no way to blast it out of there. And in fact, there's another issue on the 
uh, you know, being considered that would make it more difficult, even more difficult, should the people of Arkansas Correct. decide that we want to make some changes. So uh, there's a faction that are out there that's just saying vote them all, vote, vote them all down. Um, so for us again, we're saying that voting. Uh, Voting no on issue one is for holding government accountable. You know, their original promise in 2012 was that this was only for a 10 year period, and they're breaking that promise to us. And this is the same people that promised this originally. So it's not like there's a new, necessarily a new set of folks. Uh, it's it's the same folks that pressed for this originally. And that we need to hold them accountable for better solutions, and there have been better solutions presented. It's just they never wanted to back those solutions as strongly as a permanent tax that they never have to go back to the people and ask for again. Yeah, and then well, let me, let, for, okay, I'm going to say hold on there because we got to yeah. take a break, all right? And I want everybody no to remember what I always say. The people who want to govern uh, get in and make the hard decisions and make it happen. Those that don't want to govern, govern, uh, govern they tax. All right, got to take a break for news. Uh, let's do that right now. We continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show during the 6 o'clock hour. Ryan Norris with us uh, from uh, Americans for Prosperity, but from a bigger group than that. Uh, and I, don't, uh, I can't remember the specific name of the group. Here's what I'll tell you. Those against issue one. How's that one for you? And uh, Elizabeth is with us. Ryan, you were about ready to make a point when we had to go to the news. Uh, tell us the point that you wanted to, to, to make to yeah. us. Yeah, two real quick points is that, you know, not only when you vote uh, no on issue one, are you holding government accountable to their original promises and, and asking them for better solutions, but you're also voting for a tax a decrease, tax cut for all Arkansans. This half-cent sales tax is statewide. It's on all personal property. It's on digital downloads. It's on uh, personal on services. So voting that down is going to make your life less expensive. And... Um, to this the tune. Will help. Wait a second. Stop. Okay. Make your yep. life less expensive to the tune of how much money? They're saying $293 million annually. A half a penny. Yes. $293 million. Yes. Holy yes. cow. And so definitely this sales tax cut would help the middle class, low income and fixed income families the most. They pay a larger percentage. There are those in, in the pro side that have said, well, this isn't really much on a person by person basis. But I tell you this, $30, you know, some have said, you know, it's only like $30 a year, $60 a year, et cetera. Well, let me tell you, when you're down in the Delta area in, the, in an early morning and you're driving by, and you see kids in the wintertime wrapped in fleece blankets because their families can't afford them coats, don't assume what $30 and $60 of savings is for a family. That's that is true. just not the way you think about it. Um, what you think about this in terms of what's right, and what's right is, give, is holding government keeping its promises to us, not breaking its promises to us, not giving us this false idea, uh, dilemma that we're in, that uh, if we don't vote for this, everything falls apart. We have time for better solutions. We have a 2021 legislative session coming up, and then we also have a 2022 general election coming up again. So we have another opportunity to, to determine a, a better way for funding highways, 
than making this a permanent forever tax on our Kansans. All right, very good. Elizabeth, I mean, this is right This is right in our bailiwick, so to speak, and that's why I want to make sure that everybody understands on our side of the argument that there's people who are on our side of the argument that are not on our side of the argument on other issues, but on this, they are, and we've got to work mm-hmm. with them to, defend, to, to, to defeat this particular issue. You know, it's a classic situation of we the people. We the people are the ones these these government bureaucrats are supposed to be working for. Even the elected folks are supposed to be working for us. So what's wrong with getting together on the things we agree on and getting rid of something as onerous as a permanent tax in our mm-hmm. Constitution? Again, I just don't think that document was created for the purpose of taxing the people. That is not at all what its purpose was, and it's being subverted. I absolutely detest the whole idea. For that reason, first, um, there's got to be better ways. I guess that's the question. Uh, What about, I understand there's been a lot of controversy about many, many highway projects. How is that playing into this whole conversation? I don't think people like the way it's currently being spent. It's not being spent appropriately. I I know we have a consultant that says we need to do a lot of work to gain some efficiencies in the highway department. Mm-hmm. This is true. And so currently the, the consultant guidehouse is uh, doing an audit of the operations of RDOT, and they are finding that, that there is some disconnections between what the people want and need and what RDOT is uh, prescribing to the people. Uh, for example, you have the I-30 project that has some well-organized opposition to the scale and the cost and the environmental impact of that project. And it has been fought by RDOT not at every, at, at every turn. It's not a good faith effort of trying to attempt compromise. It's like, this is what's going to happen to you, citizen, and you better like it, and we will fight you fight you on that. Uh, Additionally, you know, I'm out in the Maumelle area to where Maumelle was asking for a third uh, uh, on-ramp for uh, uh, I-40. We only had two. We had the north uh, um, interchange at Morgan Maumelle. Then we had the uh, 430 uh, on-ramp there, and they were asking for it. And RDOT said, well, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to fund it all yourself. And so they actually voted in a sales tax to fund that third on-ramp. So again, the people came to RDOT saying, hey, this this is what you guys do. This is the help that we need. And they said, you know, you got to go figure that out for yourself. And it was a low cost, you know, comparatively a lower cost uh, project. So the people of Arkansas need to also understand that other than the governor appointing commissioners and the, uh, the legislature appropriating the budgets, there is very little oversight about what happens uh, at RDOT. RDOT you know, they they do their uh, their their reports and reviews, and they um, tell that to the people. Uh, they tell it to our elected officials, but there's really little that can be done determining you know what their what projects that they they will or will not do. So you, all these reports are uh, available uh, on the RDOT website. Uh, you can also you know look through and and see what they've been working on. There are some projects that have been completed. Uh, that were costing twelve million dollars $12 million a mile. Um, there was uh, in twenty eighteen there were nine projects totaling ninety five miles that cost taxpayers five hundred and thirty four million dollars or eleven point eight million dollars per mile. Now, 
you know, that's a lot of money per mile uh, on these things. So this is, again, an opportunity to hold government accountable, a tax cut for all our Kansans. And again, we have the second highest sales tax in the nation. And we are ranked about depending on where you look, between third and sixth in the nation on poverty rates. So we're we're a small state that has been squeezed with taxes. We have sales taxes, income taxes, fuel taxes, grocery taxes, corporate taxes, property taxes, personal property taxes, and then all the fi- all the other fees that are get associated to, to uh, interacting with government. And we're just getting to, I think, to the boiling point of the Arkansas taxpayer. Again, referencing that lots of local taxes have been presented and are being turned down. Even Little Rock had a one-cent proposal, and uh, the mayor took that off the table because he knew it's just not the right time to ask for an increase in taxes. So we have time for for better solutions. This is a false dilemma. They're saying this is it. This is the only option that we have. That's not true. We still have the 2021 legislative session and the 2020 general election. And in that time, we can come up with a fair way of using, of having use taxes, you know, fuel, we have the fuel taxes, those increased last year. Gasoline went up by 14%, diesel by 27%, hybrid cars increased to 100% in their annual fees, electric cars by, uh, are to $200, and hy- hybrids are $100, electric cars are $200. And then built into that is a fuel tax increase of up to a tenth of a cent per year that can happen, just That's year right. over year, automatic increase. So they're they're coming for your pocketbook and yeah and and that's something that has to be considered uh, ryan look julie newberry thank god for her uh, was a barnett that put the the half cent sales tax together was that the gentleman's name uh don't recall i think that was his name and 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 he's against extending it uh, Julie Newberry, uh, Mayberry, pardon me, not Newberry, Mayberry. Julie Newberry was somebody I went to high school with. Julie Mayberry, uh, a state representative, came out in, in the last general session and said, look, let's take the money on battery sales, you know, taxes on battery mm-hmm. sales and things of that nature, and let's make a, uh, you know, a, a direct line of money to do for the roads we don't need to raise taxes. The taxes are already there. All we have to do is, as I just said before and a moment ago, mm-hmm. govern and do it correctly. Do the heavy lifting and do the work. Uh, this government, this governor has shown he doesn't want to do this. I don't want to make this a personal uh, vendetta against ASA, uh, but against my fellow Republicans that think raising taxes is the answer. We always know that that's never really the answer. Governing right. is the answer. Right. And and they point and say, well, you know, we've made $900 million in in cuts to, you know, in tax cuts. Yeah, how much but, have they added? Yeah, but a lot of that is in the terms of there's swaps that were done to where yes. it's basically, you know, that, that budget neutral. And then up until uh, 20... Um, up until COVID, we were having increase budget or revenue in uh, surpluses, uh-huh. and I want to say that um, it was as early as um, let's see here at the end of um, twenty nine yeah twenty nineteen we had I want to say two hundred and fifty six million dollars surplus. 
you know, getting very, very close. Right. Arkansas, yeah, yeah, two hundred ninety-five million in surplus. Wow, uh, that's uh, that's like one. Was, that's like one yeah. year that we could get off close the half cent sales tax. Yes, and and that's what we're saying yep. too. Is that rather than just say let's just half cent forever, take a real hard look at what is actually needed, what's actually necessary. And I I was in the the committee room when in the House uh, committee when they were talking about this, and they're even saying that Arkansas has sixteen thousand miles of state highway. We can stretch our highway from Arkansas to the Antarctic Circle and back, 8,000 miles of a two-lane road. And they want to build even more on top of that. And they're saying still with this half-cent sales tax increase, it's still not enough to maintain what we have. So we need to take a step back and say, look, if we can't maintain what we have with the money we have, then how are we going to improve our position by adding in, and some of you have said up to 1,000 more miles, of state highway. How is that? It's just going to be a forever snowball of tax money that um, that we're going to be on the hook for. And that's what they're and that's what they're hoping for. I got I got to tell you, that's what they're hoping for. Makes no it, it just drives me crazy. We're going to come back uh, and, and continue this discussion. But before we go, let me ask you a question, Ryan. The governor has said, hey, $2 million, we got a $2 million war chest to help try to pass this piece of legislation. Who are the people behind that $2 million? Uh, I'm, I'm hearing that it's the people who build roads. I'm hearing that it's the Chamber of Commerce. Is that true? Uh, all of that is in reports that you can find, uh, I believe, on the Secretary of State's website on the disclosure side. Uh, there are trucking association, there's poultry association, there's um, uh, all associations with construction, with asphalt, with all of those who will definitely benefit from the large contracts that, uh, that go along with these massive projects. That's so, what I thought. Uh, again, not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that supporting that at the expense of the taxpayer when there may be better solutions. I just think that there's, there's, you know, there, there's other ways of going about this. There's nothing wrong with public-private partnerships when it's saving the taxpayer money. But, you know, again, this is uh, one of those spaces that I just don't think that you should be backing something that's going to put on the taxpayer on the hook forever and drop it into the Constitution just because it's potentially financially advantageous to you. Um, but yes, Dave, you can see everyone who's involved. And among those that are involved, you know, there's 20% of the donors are from out of state. So all of this talk about jobs, et cetera, there's going to be a significant number of those jobs that are going to be individuals that come from out of state. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the, the benefit of those, uh, that revenue and, and of those salaries are going to probably be spent out of state. Yeah. Uh, so. You know, there's, again, nothing necessarily wrong with any of that. It's just that is it in the best interest of the Arkansas taxpayer to uh, to put this half cent in the Constitution? And when you see, you know, everyone that's backing it, you know, I get it. I get it. But we need to take a step back sometimes and say, look, we sh- this isn't the way that we should be funding uh, our highway 
our highway construction. Well, and, and the thing that drives me crazy, Ryan, and Elizabeth, jump on in. I know you're, you're sitting there listening to this, but here's what drives me crazy. We got all these taxes out there. It, it, you know, they're willing to move the money around to try to, to you know, make the point that we're, we're knocking down uh, the state sales tax or the state income tax or whatever. How about we knock down uh, the uh, the taxes and pay for the roads with the taxes that were already taken from the people. Well, you know, let's let's govern. I'm going to keep saying right. that. Let's govern <laughs> and let's quit t- asking for more taxes. A break. Then we'll come back and uh, we'll finish it up for six o'clock hour. Ryan Norris is staking with us the whole hour because it's taken a whole hour to explain this to you, and it's it's uh, it's really uh, you know. A, a major thing to be explained, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get Elizabeth talking if I if I got to kick her butt during the break. We'll be back with more here on the Dave Ellswick <laughs> and the Dave Ellswick Show. of the Dave Ellswick Show. Well, we've talked about what uh, issue one is, what it means, how much money it, it involves, etc., uh, etc., et Ryan. How do people get involved? Because, look, this battle is going to come down to Benjamins. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, who, who's got the money to run the, the ads on radio and TV uh, to get the, the necessary uh, stuff on Facebook and, and all of the other uh, areas that we got to be on the Internet to defeat this. So um, and those those paving companies and asphalt companies and all those other folks have some pretty deep pockets on the other side. I know that. Right. Yeah, they do. They do. So what about us? So the LQC, the Legislative Question Committee, is no permanent tax, no on issue one uh, Legislative Question Committee. And to help, I mean, really what we need is uh, is volunteers for phones, for doors, uh, those that can make citizen contacts and talk to voters and educate them on issue one. Again, that's another piece. Spread the word about issue one. Talk to your, your uh, fellow voters, to your friends, your family about it, and let them know that, you know, voting no is going to hold government accountable. It's going to be a tax cut for all our Kansans, and it's going to require that our government go back and govern and come back with better solutions. Uh, you know, if you're a community group or individuals, you can join as a member of the LQC, and we can name put your names or logos uh, into the website. We're currently in the process of building that website. Now, something you can do quickly is you can go to nopermanenttax.com and sign the pledge to vote no on issue one. And this will also allow for us to do some additional communication to you, uh, send additional information about issue one and what's being done to organize to, uh, to oppose it. A phone number that you can call to, for more information is 501-244-9675. And you can also email infoar, so that's I-N-F-O-A-R, at afphq.org. So a lot of what a- AFP will be doing is in-kind donations to the Legislative Question Committee. Uh, we have capabilities, grassroots capabilities, that are very effective. 
So if you want to help, you can volunteer. You can make phone calls from your house. We can set you up with that. Uh, we can also help you do uh, doors and set it up for that or do, do texting. Where I'm willing to work with anyone that uh, is interested in defeating this issue. Um, if there's monetary uh, donations that you'd like to make to the LQC, again, uh, make contact with us at 501-244-9675 or at infoar at afphq.org. Okay, give that phone number one more time. All right, 501-244-9675 or infoar at afphq.org. All right. You need to get involved. I know that uh, you know who listen to this show uh, that have been involved in fighting against different uh, issues uh, here in the state. Realize what it takes to be able to defeat an issue, especially defeat an issue that has the backing of the governor and a lot of uh, people who have uh, significant amounts of money uh, in business to uh, you know, pay for ads and things of that nature. You also need to be talking to your neighbors. Your talking to your neighbor uh, is vitally important to defeating issue one. You got to do it, and you got to get your neighbor to do it with his friends. And if we'll all work on that, everybody will know what's up for grabs, and uh, we can defeat this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that, that's the bottom line. I mean, look, uh, Elizabeth's listening in grassroots. That's what it all comes down to, does it not, Elizabeth? It's always about that. I mean, that's that's what it always comes down to, just what Ryan said. He needs volunteers. You've got to be involved in these questions and these critical parts of our government. This election, there's going to be a lot of important stuff on our ballot, a lot of very important things. Yeah, not just about putting Trump in the White House again. We're talking about things that are going to affect you minutely here in uh, your state. Go ahead, Brian. And with your pocketbook. Well, what I'm finding out is with uh, the citizen contacts that we've made so far, nearly, I would say, 95 percent of of those are not educated on issue one or just don't know even about issue one or what it's it's going to do. Once they're educated on it. We're saying probably better than 90 percent are saying, yes, I'm going to be voting no on issue one. So we need to keep that up. We've got a lot of of, uh, voters out there that we need to uh, put our perspective in front of and and educate on issue one and what it really means for them. And when we do, it seems to be breaking our way. So lots of money, but they're going to need it to change the parts and minds of our Kansans who are filling that squeeze of tax dollars that keep on coming they keep on coming for us and for our pocketbook we need to draw a line in the sand and say no more go back and govern be accountable give us better solutions and we're going to vote ourselves a tax cut this november all right we appreciate you ryan norris here on the dave ellswick show elizabeth sotolaro thank you for joining me today we'll be back with you 6 a.m tomorrow morning on wednesday got a lot of different people coming on Be listening for my ad about who's going to appear. Until then, have a great one.